going to do the most important thing that we do at Soul Revival, which is read from God's Word. The Bible reading tonight is from Joshua 14, verses 6 to 15. Now the people of Judah approached Joshua at Gilgal, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, said to him, You know what the Lord said to Moses, the man of God at Kadesh Barnea, about you and me. I was 40 years old when Moses, the servant of the Lord, sent me from Kadesh Barnea to explore the land, and I brought him back a report according to my convictions. But my fellow Israelites, who went up with me, made the hearts of the people melt in fear. I, however, followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. So on that day, Moses swore to me, the land on which your feet have walked will be your inheritance and that of your children forever, because you have followed the Lord my God wholeheartedly. Now then, just as the Lord promised, he has kept me alive for 45 years since the time he said this to Moses, while Israel moved about in the wilderness. So here I am today, 85 years old. I am still as strong today as the day Moses sent me out. I am just as vigorous to go out to battle now as I was then. Now give me this hill country that the Lord promised me that day. You yourself heard then that the Anakites were there and their cities were large and fortified. But, the Lord helping me out, I will drive them out just as he said. Then Joshua blessed Caleb, son of Jephunneh, and gave him Hebron as his inheritance. So Hebron has belonged to Caleb, son of Jephunneh the Kenizzite, ever since, because he followed the Lord, the God of Israel, wholeheartedly. Hebron used to be called Kiriath Arba, after Arba, who was the greatest man among the Anakites. Then the land had rest from war. Well, good evening, everybody. My name's Stuart, and I'd like to welcome to you this evening. Uh, it's very exciting to be continuing to move through the book of Joshua and see evidence tonight of the man Caleb, who followed the Lord wholeheartedly. And I want to ask us tonight, what does it look for us in our day and age to follow the Lord wholeheartedly? How can we do that? Well, we know, don't we, that our Lord Jesus, before he ascended into heaven in Matthew 28, said, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That is a very famous verse and well known to many people. But we know, don't we, that that's not a simple matter to go and make disciples of all nations. As Christians, we are all disciples, and as Christian disciples, we are disciple making disciples. So our Lord Jesus has given us this great opportunity to partner with him to make disciples. Now I'm not assuming tonight that everybody who is here is a Christian disciple and if you're not you're very welcome and I'm really excited that you're here tonight. I hope that as you hear the sermon tonight that there might be something in it for you that helps you to understand the gospel a bit more and understand our God a bit more and get you even more excited to continue to look into whether you might want to follow Jesus too but I particularly want to speak now to those of us who do follow Jesus and say that as we partner with Jesus, we know he's making disciples, we know he's growing his church, and he's inviting us to partner with him, but it can be a little bit confronting and a little bit scary to partner with Jesus. Just like the people of Israel who were commanded in the day of Joshua to be 
following the Lord wholeheartedly, as we saw Caleb followed the Lord wholeheartedly, and in their instance, to drive out the Canaanites out of the land in judgment, uh, that was a bit scary too. And the people of Israel, tonight what we're going to be looking at is they were faced with this dilemma of do we partner with God as he is about his great project of fulfilling his promise of land to the people and driving out those people from the land that are the Canaanites that God is judging. But as we read this story tonight, I want us just to be thinking about what about us? What does it mean for us to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? Well, tonight we heard um, Jai in the announcements talk about the fact that Sorrow Revival has a couple of podcasts. We have a Sorrow Revival Church podcast for our sermons, in case people miss a sermon. And we've also, with Joel, started uh, one called the Sorrow Revival Shock Absorber, oh, Shock Absorber, actually, just the Shock Absorber podcast. And that's about getting generations to work together in the church. Um, If you got your newsletter yesterday, you'll notice that we actually um, advertised a third podcast on the newsletter yesterday, and that's by our sister Anna. Now, the reason I want to draw your attention to that tonight is our sister Anna is someone I've known for a long time, and I've known her ever since she was a young woman in the Sorrowville Youth Community, and I've always known her as someone to follow the Lord wholeheartedly. And I think that it's really exciting in the newsletter to read about what it looks like for Anna to be following the Lord wholeheartedly in this generation by doing something that's a little bit scary, and that is starting a podcast and stepping out in faith. And she started this terrific podcast called The Word on the Street, which has all these little 10-minute episodes for families to help families to think about um, having God conversations and starting God conversations to help us in this great task of making disciples. Well, it was really exciting when Anna told me this week that she's actually been approached by Eternity News from Bible Society, inviting her to join their network of podcasts. And I thought that was a great thing to celebrate tonight because I think it's really exciting to see... Yeah, I can give a round of applause. Don't want to embarrass you, Anna, but um, poor old Anna's sitting up the front. If you're at home, Anna's sitting over here at the moment. But um, I could hear the clapping coming from home too, so thanks for everyone online who's clapping now too. Um, But Anna, yeah, we're really excited for you because it's a really lovely ministry. But I just want to pause for a second and say, you know, imagine what was going through Anna's mind when she went, oh, will I do this? She's got this idea. We'll actually step out and do this. And I'm sure if you ask Anna afterwards, it probably wasn't a simple matter of, oh, I'll just start a podcast. It was probably a whole heap of things. Well, I'm going to put myself out there. What's going to happen? And I wanted to start um, this evening's talk with that story because I think now as we jump back into the story of the Israelites, I want us to try and get ourselves into their position. Like what was it like to go into the promised land when the peoples around them were so scary and they were meant to drive them out? What does it look like to follow God wholeheartedly, to take a step of faith and to actually trust that God is the one who is doing the work, not us? that we can actually do risky things and take risks for the gospel to try and, in our generation, make disciples of all nations, buoyed on by the example of our sister. But also tonight, what we're going to look at is the example of Caleb, amongst others. So let's go back to the book of Joshua and open up with me uh, to chapter 13, because we're going to pick the story up at chapter 13. And what we're looking at tonight is chapter 13 is quite an exciting turning point in the story, Because if the first half of the book is about the conquest of the land, Joshua leading the people across uh, the Jordan, uh, they take Jericho, they go on and have um, all sorts of, um, you know, the story takes all sorts of twists and turns. Uh, We get to chapter 13 and now there's a change in pace. In the book of Joshua, the people are spreading out over the land. They haven't taken all the land, but now we're seeing the promise of God 
coming to fruition. That ancient promise of God to Abraham that he would bless Abraham with a people, that that people would become a great nation and that they would be having land. So the second promise he made to Abraham is coming true from chapter 13 onwards. And so in the book of Joshua, we're seeing here the allocation of the land to the people. And what we're going to do tonight is we're going to spend a few minutes looking at how the land is allocated after they've started to secure the land, the promised land for the Lord. How is it allocated to the different tribes of Israel and what can we learn today from that allocation? What I want to do is start with chapter 18 verses 1 to 10. If you have your Bibles open, turn up to chapter 18 verses 1 to 10. Uh, It'll be up on the screen behind me too, I believe, if you want to read on. The whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there. The country was brought under their control, but there were still seven Israelite tribes who had not yet received their inheritance. So Joshua said to the Israelites, how long will you wait before you begin to take possession of the land the Lord your God gave your ancestors and he's given to you? Appoint three men from each tribe and I'll send them out to make a survey of the land and to write a description of it according to the inheritance of each. Then they will return to me. You will divide the land into seven parts. Judah is to remain in its territory on the south and the tribes of Joseph in their territory to the north. After you have written descriptions of the seven parts of the land, bring them here to me. I will cast lots in the presence of the Lord your God. The Levites, however, do not get a portion among you because of the priestly service to the Lord that is their inheritance. And Gad and Reuben and the half-tribe of Manasseh have already received their inheritance. On the east side of the Jordan, Moses, the servant of the Lord, gave it to them. And so in the rest of chapter 18, you see the men go out and they go and do just as was described. I want to help us tonight to understand what's going on in the big picture here. What we've got is the people of Israel have conquered the land and now they're going to have three parts allocation to all the 12 tribes of Israel. So the first part took place by Moses on the eastern side of the Jordan before they crossed over into the promised land. The second and the third are under Joshua and the west side is at Gilgal and then at Shiloh. So what I'm going to ask is for you just to listen along tonight, not so that we can have a geography lesson or so we can have some kind of lesson in who got what, What this is about is what do we learn about God and the people of Israel and what do we learn about us as we listen to how this land is distributed? Okay, let's have a look at this. I want to go back to chapter 13 now, verses 1 to 7. Because in 1 1 to 7, God speaks to Joshua for the second time. First time he spoke to him in chapter 1 and he was telling him about the conquest. Now God is telling him how to allocate the land. And in verse 1 of chapter 13, this is what we read. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. (laughs) I like that bit. When Joshua had grown old, the Lord said to him, you are now very old. Um, And there are still very large areas of land to be taken over. Oh, we get a bit of an interesting sense in that, don't we? As the Lord speaks, he's saying, Joshua, you are old. But you know what, Josh? Your ministry is not yet finished. Your conquest of the land hasn't been completed what's holding you back there's already a little bit of an idea here a little bit of a sense that something's amiss something's awry the conquest hasn't gone to plan there are still too many Canaanites living in the land and what we're going to find out it's actually the people of Israel who haven't followed the Lord wholeheartedly and taken the land as they've been asked 
So the problem here is when the Lord promises to fulfill his purposes, he will fulfill his purposes. There is no doubt about that. He is not frustrated by humans in our um, lack of faith or our lack of ability to live out that faith. However, in their generation, they're risking the fact that they might miss out on the great treasure of what it is to be the people of God and enjoy the promises of God in their generation if they don't partner with God. And the warning for us today is, if you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you can be assured that Jesus Christ will do what he promises he will do. When you put your faith in Jesus, in his death and resurrection, when your sins are forgiven, he gives you the Holy Spirit to live in your heart as a deposit, guaranteeing your inheritance into heaven. And that is there for sure. But remember what James says as he reflects on that idea. He said, you know, faith is great, but faith without works is dead. Faith without works is dead. So if we don't follow the Lord wholeheartedly and take risks in partnering with him as he spreads his gospel on earth, if we just spend our own private lives on ourselves and our family, we don't really get engaged with the partnership that God offers us for all of us individually to be disciple-making disciples, we may miss out on the treasure it is while we are alive on this earth to experience the wonder and the blessing of being a Christian on this earth. And we are told by the New Testament that the real treasure we have is in heaven. And if we are working for earthly things, when we die, those things will pass away and will amount to nothing. The idea is that we are Christians who, like Caleb in the story that we heard read tonight, should wholeheartedly serve the Lord and build treasure in heaven. So that when we get to glory, we don't look around and go, oh, wow, I just wasted my time on earth. What was I doing? This is a warning to the people of Israel and it's a warning to us tonight as well. Well, let's have a look at Joshua 13, verse 6, so we can understand this a bit better. He goes on there and it says, As for all the inhabitants of the mountain regions from Lebanon to Misrath, Minia, that is, all the Sidonites, I myself will drive them out before the Israelites. Be sure to allocate this land to Israel for an inheritance as I have instructed you. So again, this is the Lord still talking to Joshua at the beginning of chapter 13. And what does he say there? He says, these enemies that you have opposing you, that I've given you the task in your generation to drive out. That's what it looks like to partner with the Lord in their generation. Drive out the Canaanites. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly and drive them out. However, he makes it explicit there that the inheritance they're going to receive is not from their own hand. God says, I will drive out the Canaanites before you. And again, I want to make a link between the Old Testament story here and the mission we have in our generation. Where in the New Testament does it say that we, as disciple-making disciples, through our own effort, will grow the church? It says time and time again in the New Testament that the Lord God will, will grow the church and he's inviting us to enjoy being a part of that. Here he's saying to the Israelites, serve me wholeheartedly because I will do it. Again, not embarrassing our sister Anna, but that's the kind of thought that she's gone through. To wholeheartedly serve the Lord is to use her gifts and her ideas and her creativity for the gospel. And something that was so clever and so helpful has been picked up by Eternity News. Who would have ever thought? We might think of our own effort. What, what could I possibly do that could possibly help God build the kingdom of heaven? What have I got to offer? I don't have anything to offer, but we do. Because it's the Lord who will work through our acts of faith. You know, a simple smile to someone at church as you come in the door. 
actually turning up to church in the first place, do you realise that is partnering with Christ? By your presence at church or by tuning in online, you're actually saying this matters. Jesus matters. You matter. And if you simply smile at someone while you're at church or say, hi, how was your week? That is actually an act of faith that you're partnering with helping to grow the church. It's very easy for us as Christians in our day and age to become cynical and to step back and go, oh, I can't do anything to change the world. Actually, we can do a lot because it's our Lord who's changing the world and he's given this beautiful space and this format called a local church that in the local church and they're all over the world, we gather as Christians, we invite people to come along, we listen to the word of God and we share the love and truth of Jesus. Coming back to the inheritance we see here, I want to fast forward from chapter 13 and have a look at chapter 14 because what I want to show here too is another verse that shows that the inheritances are assigned by the Lord. Joshua 14 verse 2, their inheritance were assigned by lot to nine. Let me read that again. Their inheritances were assigned by lot to the nine and a half tribes that have yet to get land allocation as the Lord had commanded through Moses. Now what's a lot? Does anybody know what a lot is here? Other than if you think of lollies, a lot means multiple. Yeah, like, it's like dice, actually. A lot is like dice. Um, the lots are, let's, let's roll the dice and let's see what the dice tell us is going to be the outcome. The lot is they cast lots. So instead of Joshua deciding who's going to get what, they cast lots. Now, this isn't a game of chance, as dice is in our day and age. Casting lots, they honestly believed, the people of Israel were like, let's see who the Lord chooses for these different lands. Let's make a decision not on our own merit. Let's not all sit down and go, who do we think deserves that bit? Who can farm that bit better? Who's better at defending the border? Hey, those blokes over there, those ladies over there. It wasn't about that. They weren't thinking in human terms. They were going to allow the Lord to allocate the land. This is another example about how the Lord is actually giving the land to the people. Now, this process of lot is actually, decision by lot, is actually found in the New Testament too, interestingly. Can you think of an example where the apostles drew lots to see who the Lord would choose in the New Testament? Well, if you have a look at Acts chapter 1, verses 23 to 26, you read this. When they needed another apostle to replace Judas, they nominated two men, Joseph called Barnabas, also known as Justice, and Matthias. Then they prayed, Lord, you know everyone's heart, Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. They cast lots, and the lot fell to Matthias, so he was added to the 11 apostles. So the 12, when they needed to make another decision on who was going to replace Judas, it was common sense to ask the Lord, because after all, didn't Jesus choose the apostles in the first place? So they cast lots to ask the Lord who was going to replace him. And I want to say tonight that's a beautiful act of faith. I don't think what's being prescribed here in the, the book of Judges or the book of Acts is that necessarily has to be the way the church decides things forever. But what the principle here is that we should see really clearly is let's not go running off making our own decisions about what we think is right. 
Let's pause. Let's pray as the disciples did. Let's wait on the Lord and ask for his wisdom. Let's attempt as much as we can as we go on as Christians to continue to pray for discernment on how we should live our lives as Christians. Because if we are in that state of prayer and we are discerning what is right and wrong, can you see how that will affect how we can live wholeheartedly for the Lord? Because living in prayer means we are not living on our own strength. If we're waking up every morning and going to bed every night, beginning the day and closing the day with, Lord, how should I approach parenting? How should I approach my friendships? How should I approach my work challenges? How would you like me to work today? What would you like me to do today? More and more, our minds will be actually orientated to what is important and what is not important will fade away. Sure, we do lots of fun things on this earth. Sure, we have lots of important priorities. But who as a Christian ever looked at themselves in the mirror and said, I don't want to live wholeheartedly for the Lord? We all want to. And the way to live wholeheartedly for the Lord is like Joshua and like the apostles, prayerfully seek the wisdom of God for your future decisions, both big and small. Well, let's briefly look at how the land was divided up and let's see if we can learn anything from how the land was divided up. Let's look briefly, first of all, at Joshua 13, 14 again. Uh, we're not going to read all these verses out because of time, but I'm uh, raising all these things up so you might want to go away and have a read of this yourself and have a think about it after the sermon. But first of all, we're going to look at the Levites. In Joshua 13, 14, um, the tribe of Levi didn't get any inheritance. <laughs> so that's an easy one. That's going to be quick, isn't it? They didn't get any land. So as the land's being distributed and the lots are being cast, Levi doesn't even get anything. There's two reasons for that. The first reason is, a long time ago, back in Genesis chapter 49, the tribe of Levi were sentenced to be landless because of their violence that they'd perpetrated on other people. So a long time ago, the, the ancestors of the Levites had dealt harshly with the she Shemanites and in Genesis 49, the judgment was that they weren't able to have land. However, that's not the full story because when you get to Exodus 32, and those of you who might know the book of Exodus will know that Exodus 32, around that part of the, the story is where Moses goes up to Mount Sinai he gets the Ten Commandments and while he's up on the mountain, what do the people of Israel do? Do they wait patiently for Moses to come back with the word of the Lord? No, they get all the gold they took from Egypt and make a golden calf, create a god and worship it. And then the whole camp went into dis disarray. It was just pandemonium. So Moses comes in and here's this camp where, where people are carrying on, they're, 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 you know, they're partying and they're killing people and they're robbing and they're stealing. It was just chaos. So in order to bring order, Moses turns to the Levites and said, come and help me create order. And the Levites, the tribe of Levi, go in with Moses into the camp and they bring order to the camp. So they kind of um, were cursed with landlessness, but now because of what they've done here, they've redeemed themselves. And so now from the time of Exodus 32, they're now going to be the priests of Israel. They're going to be the people who are going to look after the tabernacle. They're going to be the people who uh, dis uh, do the sacrifices for the people and they're going to teach the word of God for the people. And do you know what in return their inheritance is going to be from now on? Their inheritance is going to be the tithings of the people. So the first fruits of the people of Israel will feed and look after the Levites in the land and that's what we learn there. Then in verse 14, as we heard read, we have Caleb. 
I've got to say tonight, he's my favourite. I dig Caleb. 85-year-old man, strapping on that old sword for one more go. What does it look like to serve the Lord wholeheartedly? You do it while ever you have air in your lungs. It doesn't matter how old you are, keep strapping that sword on. You know, my mind goes to Ephesians chapter 6. Do any of you remember Ephesians chapter 6? In Ephesians chapter 6, Paul has already been saying in Ephesians that our battle is not with flesh and blood as it was in the time of Joshua. It's with principalities and powers and it's against the evil one. We are not fighting people, we are fighting against satanic powers. And how do we fight satanic powers? Well, like the people of Israel put on armour and like Caleb put a sword on his belt, you take up the word of God as the sword of the spirit. You put on the helmet of salvation. You put on the breastplate. You put on the shoes equipped with the desire to spread the good news. You've got to arm yourself every day for the spiritual struggle that we're engaged in. Unfortunately, in our day and age, too many Christians living in cities like Sydney, we become we come a bit blasé to the spiritual world. But we are, we are spiritual beings with the Holy Spirit. And we need to actually pray and ask God to equip us for the daily spiritual fight that we have. And not just in our youth. Not just while we, when we have time. But wholeheartedly. Serve the Lord wholeheartedly like Caleb. Caleb is 85 years old and he's still going into battle for the Lord. You know, again, I don't want to embarrass another sister here tonight. But we have a sister here tonight who's not quite um, as old as Caleb. But she's been my auntie for many years, Elva Redman. And when she walked in today, because I was preparing this sermon and knowledgeable of what I was about to say, the image of Elva walking in quite humbly into church. I don't know where you are tonight, Elva. I can't see you. In the other room, maybe. Hi, if you're in the other room. It's almost like I saw my sister, my auntie, walking into the church fully armoured with her sword at her side, the sword of the spirit, with a helmet on, with a belt on, because every time Elva comes in here, she's ready to do battle for us, to build us up, to encourage us in the name of the Lord Jesus. Very faithful servants encourage us to be faithful. Now, Caleb was so faithful to the Lord, there was a brief and shining moment for the people of Israel at the end of chapter 14. Verse 15 describes how there was peace in the land. We get an image of rest we're reminded how, G how God himself rested on the seventh day and how we will have our eternal rest. That, as we'll find out as the story goes on, was only temporary. But quickly, let's move on. Judah, chapter 15. They get their allotment. Judah is the Lion of Israel. And to understand their story, later, you might want to go back to Genesis chapter 49, verses 8 to 12, to understand that Judah is the royal tribe. From Judah will come David. From David will come Jesus. So Judah is the royal tribe and they get their allotment. But still, even though they are the royal tribe, they still too do not overcome all of the people in their area. Judah have Jerusalem and they allow the Canaanites to stay in Jerusalem. And later, those Canaanites that they don't drive out at the beginning will become a thorn in their side. How often do, do simple things that we do not to drive out sin in our life create thorns in our sides too? See, sometimes we think, oh, look, let's just, let's just, maybe I, I can just sort of like not be too rigorous with my holiness. Like, you know, I, I, I want to fight the fight of faith. I want to put all the armour of God on, but, oh, maybe I can just play around with a little bit of sin here on the side. Be careful. Because as we'll see with Judah, those little sins 
as we said last week, just like yeast goes throughout the whole dough, those things can spread in your life and create big problems. Be rigorous as Caleb with sin. Fight against it. Equip yourself with the armour of God. The word, the word is the sword of the Spirit. And fight against those things. Because even in Judah's royal heritage, with the land that they're given, they still did not obey. Briefly, Ephraim and Manasseh, the sons of Joseph, again, they were particularly privileged. And then again, back in Genesis chapter 49, we, we see that Joseph is a fruitful vine. A fruitful vine near a spring whose branches climb over the wall. Yet the same thing happens with these tribes too. They went and complained to Joshua in chapter 15, verse 36, 63 rather, and they complained that their allotment's not big enough. They are also privileged to get land and allotment, but they're not living wholeheartedly to the Lord and their particular sin is the sin of complaining. This is a rigorous sin in the people of Israel. They were complaining all the way through the desert, all the time. Moses, we don't have anything to eat. God brings manna. Oh, Moses, we're sick of eating manna. <laughs> Moses, we, we, we don't have anything to drink. Moses knocks a stick on a rock and all this water comes out and they drink. Oh, but we just want to go back to Egypt. Life was better. And unfortunately, the church has the same problem in our day and age too. We can be tempted to grumble and complain when we look around and see the things that aren't working. Instead of seeing the things that aren't working in the church and saying, I wonder how I can contribute to help make that better, we can sit back and go, oh... The leadership aren't doing a real good job with that, are they? Gee, who made that decision? That was a terrible decision. We can grumble and complain as well. And the people here grumbled and complained, but really they shouldn't have because they weren't willing to serve the Lord wholeheartedly. Because again, like the people of Judah, they didn't drive all the Canaanites out of the land. Can I end tonight by saying this? Deuteronomy chapter 20 verse 1 says this, When you go to war against your enemies and see horses and chariots and an army greater than yours. Do not be afraid of them, because the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt will be with you. Those words ring out through the centuries. And we know how the Lord is with us. He doesn't travel with us in the tent of the tabernacle as he did with the people of Israel. He travels around in our hearts every day. Every day we wake up, the Lord God is with us in our heart. The Lord has given us everything we need for godliness. All we need to do is take him at his word and prayerfully consider that we live our lives for his glory, not our own. To live wholeheartedly for the Lord, though, can be scary. Sometimes I find myself stopping mid-sentence before I start to share the gospel with someone in case I might cause offence and lose a friend. Sometimes I'm not sure if I should take a risk because if it doesn't work out, I might look foolish. Sometimes I'd really long for a friend of mine to grow as a disciple of Jesus, but instead of investing in them, I can be a little bit like Judah and Ephraim and Manasseh and just grumble a little bit. Think, no, nah, it's too hard, I'm too busy, I'm too tired, I've got too many other things to do. Last thing I've got to do is to actually help the Lord grow his church. Well, let me encourage you with the words of 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 7. If you, like me, sometimes find yourself not living wholeheartedly for the Lord, in 2 Timothy, Paul says this to Timothy, For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love and self-discipline. Isn't that encouraging tonight? That in those moments where we feel weak, God is strong. Remember the heroes of the great Old Testament stories, like Caleb, who's got his 
sword on, even at 85. Love to see that old bloke staggering down the hill, charging at the enemy. Must be terrifying seeing that old bloke charging. Probably giving a good whoop too for the, the Lord God. I want to be like that, but sometimes I don't find myself being like that. Sometimes I find myself being too timid. But here we're told at the end of the story, the city of Shiloh, in verse 18, chapter 18, where we began tonight, the whole assembly of the Israelites gathered at Shiloh and set up the tent of meeting there and the country was brought under their control because the Lord God, the tent of the Lord, was at Shiloh. The capital of Israel had moved to Shiloh to represent peace, the presence of God and rest. And brothers and sisters, that's what God promises us tonight. Don't be afraid, be encouraged. And please wake up every morning and pray, God, help me to live wholeheartedly for you. Take a little risk every day. Try and find an opportunity to share the gospel with someone every day. Try and show kindness to someone who is in need every day. Be available for the Lord. And like Caleb, like Joshua, we will understand that it's the Lord who gives us our inheritance in our land. It's not by our own taking. Amen.